0: And welcome to Awesome Etiquette.
1: Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty.
0: On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on picks of engagement rings, community dinner displeasures, honoring honorifics, yoga class guests, and elevator door chivalry at work.
1: Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on breaking up. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont, by the Emily Post
0: Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Tell us, guys. I have big news.
1: So I finally, I know a certain group of our listening audience has probably been waiting for this for a very, very long time. I said yes to knitting.
0: You were hysterical when you sort of confessed to me that you had learned to knit over the weekend. But it wasn't even a confession. You were so excited.
1: I was. So knitting, much like learning to play the guitar, is something I have pushed off in my life to my later years. At 35, I feel I'm entering them. Just kidding. I learned to knit. I have a friend, Kayla, who loves to knit. And she was talking about wanting people to knit with, like not getting to share this part of her life with anyone. And I was like, you know... I am actually probably at a good stage in life where knitting could be really a useful hobby to pick up.
0: <laughs> I've heard it's very calming.
1: It, it It is and it isn't. When you get started, there's definitely some moments where you're like what did I do? Can I just knit through that? Can I just ignore that? And then you like see your scarf and there's a hole in it and you're like, oh, that's why you don't ignore it.
0: (laughs) I can also imagine there's something about seeing this thing emerge where you don't want to put it down. You just want to see it keep happening and happening and happening.
1: Much like the book projects I'm currently working on, it's the same thing. It's like, I feel like I'm living in this little zone where I'm like researching and writing and knitting now and it's like very solitary work. But I really do enjoy it. I really do like it. You know me. I'm, I'm fairly crafty and dexterous. Creative. Thank you, cuz. I appreciate it. I will take that compliment, sir. But I really am enjoying it. I am uh, excited to see what I can produce. I am trying to imagine who the scarf I am knitting is going to be for. Um, but I'm knitting a scarf and a hat. And I'm very excited. Um, I am knitting three and purling three on the hat for the brim, and I am just straight knitting the scarf, which is of like one of those multicolored yarns, so it's coming out all funky and
0: blue and yellow and stuff, so it's cool. Very cool. I'm sure I'm going to understand better when I see the product.
1: Yes, you will. I hope. (laughs) We'll see how it all turns out. We'll see how long this hobby sticks with me.
0: It's a fun one. My mother loves knitting.
1: She does? I don't she, think I knew that about her. I know she and my mother can knit things. Mm-hmm. I didn't know knitting was a pro, like a project fashion at first.
0: It is and and she tries to hit major landmarks in the the girls' lives. So Aww. my nieces and Anisha get little 1-year-old sweaters, Two-year-old little old newborn sweaters. blankets, little exactly. That's cute. mittens and hats and they're some of my favorite things of hers.
1: Totally, totally. Yeah. I'm hoping it'll be something nice. As, as many of you have heard me talk about on the show, I'm a big fan of DIY gifting. I do believe that that time and effort is something that makes a difference to a piece. And I do believe that it's really satisfying to give people things that you've worked on and put time and investment into. Mm-hmm. So that's something I really believe in. I'm excited to add another skill to the set.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say I'm looking forward to my first hat, but I'm looking forward to my first oh, hat. Oh, dude,
1: I'm totally going to make you a hat. You're yes. like, I'm actually, the scarf that I'm making, part of me is like, I bet this would look great on Anisha. And then I'm like looking at it and I'm like, Lizzie, she's like a year old. It's going to be gigantic on her. It would be like a wrap.
0: <laughs> she's going to keep growing.
1: <laughs> she is going to keep growing. Oh, and you had a nice weekend because you went and visited the in-laws. It was a good time.
0: I did. I got to go to a big family gathering. I love your in-laws. Me too. And I was (laughs) reflecting as the weekend went on and as we were coming home afterwards how comfortable that space has become for me. And it's the kind of comfort that really comes with time as relationships grow and develop and – it's uh, a family that is very close, and I'm feeling more and more a part of it. It's really, really nice.
1: I love it. I love it. I love it. Cuz, I'm so happy for you. That is so nice. I've loved watching your little family grow and expand and evolve, and it's very it's very fun to be a fly on the wall of, of your life right now. <laughs>
0: well, in many ways, these two families are getting to know each other yes. better and better oh, yeah. through me and Pooja, yeah. and that's also fun, although it's just the opportunities are fewer so it happens more slowly that you really develop that comfort but there's a certain familiarity that's growing and I enjoy that also
1: I'm actually excited to get to some questions today because we've started to have a lot of questions coming in via text message. And I've been really, really excited about it. So there's actually a lot of questions um, and comments today that came into to 802-858-5463. And please feel free to program that number into your
0: phones and shoot
1: us a text anytime you like.
0: I'm curious to hear that. I also noticed the number of voice messages that are in this show. And that means people are using that voicemail feature as well. Thank you so much. It is such a pleasure to hear your voices. Keep them coming.
1: And it helps us hear your tone, your intention, your attitude. It really helps us understand exactly what you mean and represent you well on the show.
0: Well, let's get to some of those questions. Let's
1: do it. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth.
0: We have a new way for you to support the show. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the Awesome Etiquette podcast. All sustaining membership levels come with access to an ads-free version of the show, extra content from us, and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping to keep Awesome Etiquette available. Whether you choose 2 five, ten, 5 10 or $20 a month, we're incredibly grateful for your support. We invite you to visit awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com and become a sustaining member today. Now, back to the show.
1: Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, you can email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or please hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so that we know you want your question on the show.
0: Our first question is titled, The Ring Ain't the Thing. It isn't. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Love your show. Love it. Thank you so much for providing such considerate, respectful, and honest etiquette feedback. See what I did there? We a do. Wink, wink. <laughs> I have a question about engagement announcements on social media. I am 25, and it feels like everyone in my social circle is starting to get engaged. It seems the official announcement norm is a social media post. Whether it be on Facebook or Instagram, I've seen these announcements come in all forms, from a single simple couple photo to albums of images of the proposal, the romantic proposal setup, the proposal celebration, (laughs) and my least favorite and probably the most controversial, a close-up shot of the ring. I can tolerate all of this, but I have to ask, is it appropriate to post a close-up shot of the ring? To me, this is pure boasting and takes away from the very special moment and actual gesture of the proposal. What are your thoughts? Cheers, Julie, Brooklyn, New York.
1: I totally get this. I totally get this. I understand where this is coming from. But I I think that whether you should or shouldn't, the question here is so much about this this little tiny rock, you know, that like ends up on a finger and it's such a symbol. It's such a symbol of the engagement our culture has chosen. For all kinds of reasons, I'm sure we can name them another time, but all kinds of reasons that this is the symbol of engagement. It's the symbol of promise. Um, It's a symbol of forever. There's all kinds of things that are tied to this ring, which is why you end up with folks, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words. If you just take a picture of of that type of ring on a finger, often you don't even need the words, we're engaged. People get it. It's actually caused a lot of confusion when people go to share jewelry that they are excited about having received and it's on that particular left ring finger. I think here, is it appropriate to post a close-up shot of the ring? You know, we share our lives with our friends and family online a lot. We just do. We make choices about how we do that. Some people post dresses that they buy. Some people post uh, furniture that they put in their house. They post... Oh, my goodness. Animals, cars, decorations. Um, What are the other things that we adorn our life with?
0: Children, Children. vacations.
1: I'm not thinking of actual people, but vacations is a great one. We post a lot that um, you could very easily tie to expenses and and tie to money and tie, tie to your finances. So when I open up and do Dan's wonderful 36,000-foot view on things, I say, you know what? One ring isn't isn't a big deal in the amount of stuff you show in your life that could be connected to finances, wealth. That sort of thing. Um, if you're worried that the boasting is just coming from, look, we got engaged. Guess what? That's like an announcement that we make. That's something that we do share. That is big news. We do share big news in our lives. I wish more people shared their promotions. I wish more people shared the jobs that they get. I wish more people shared the moments in the lives in their lives when they buy a house, when they they make those other big lifetime commitments, I think. But I wouldn't get so caught up on folks posting pictures of the ring. Make choices for yourself. Decide not to post things that you don't feel good about posting. Decide not to contribute to that. That's what I do. I don't if I'm not into it, I don't post about it. I don't say I feel I have to post a picture like this. I think that's the way that you try to combat that. Um, rather than letting other people's choices, kind of get under your skin and annoy you, annoy you or frustrate you or make you look at them differently, I would go to that 36,000 view and say, you know what? There are lots of things that I could pick out if I went through their feed and searched their photos and identified the items, be it luxury or bargain, that they are choosing to post. What do you think, Cuz?
0: I like the way you're thinking about this. Okay. I like the way you're acknowledging the symbolism of the ring and the story that it tells and Essentially putting yourself in someone else's shoes and saying that's a story they're telling and that picture is worth a thousand words. And at the same time, if it is flagging in your mind, if you are finding yourself looking at that ring picture that you see on social media and saying, boy, that feels a little too personal or it, it, it crosses the line of where I, I feel like it's talking about money in a way that I don't want to see people talking about money online or I wouldn't feel comfortable myself talking about money online. Totally. And that's a reasonable thought to have. There's a certain amount of discretion that you would want to exercise that to me the etiquette moment there is to say I'm probably not going to do that myself when that moment happens for me and I'm going to try to assume the best of other people. I'm going to hear them tell the story of their proposal that they're so excited about. And maybe it's even this ring that they're so excited about. Maybe this is the ring yes. they wanted. Or maybe the the ring that was produced was was a beyond their true. imagination. It was a dream come <laughs> true, was w- whatever it was. And yeah. you assume it was offered in that type of spirit. And also notice that little moment in yourself where you sort of catch and say, I'm going to acknowledge that little discretionary voice when it is my turn or when I'm making a choice that maybe it's not a ring choice but it's a similar choice about how much you're comfortable sharing.
1: Dude, I love how you phrased all of that. Thank you.
0: Well, you you tied it together very nicely. <laughs>
1: no, no, no. I'm- like loving what you said.
0: The other thought that I had yeah, yeah, as to I me. read this question was that I just wanted to thank Julie for sharing with us what she's seeing out there right? that this is one of the ways that an increasingly older and out-of-touch etiquette expert stays current and aware of what's going on. Are
1: you like, what happened to you? Did you turn 40 and did something switch in your head or something? You are not out of date. you are I mean, I know you've got a little, like, avocado on the collar today from the baby. You're in a different place in life than you were, but, like, you are not out
0: of date. I, I don't feel out of date, okay, but, I, but it's because I get to hear things like this from Julie. Yeah. I get to hear what's going on from our audience, and I really appreciate that. This is a research group that is so invaluable to us.
1: Oh, my gosh. It's so, so true. Julie, thank you so much for sharing your perspective, and we hope that you'll keep the thoughts coming.
0: You young punks go to the movies a couple of times, do a little necking, and you think you're in love. (laughs) I've never
2: seen anything like it. All I wanted to do was ask. You don't have to get sore about it, do you?
0: This question is about community dinner displeasure.
1: Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I loved your response to the keto question, and I am wondering about the etiquette from the other side. I help to coordinate small dinners and events for some ladies in my church congregation once a month. We have a budget, and we do the best we can to make the events fun and enriching for all who attend. Last night, we hosted a pulled pork salad taco bar. Oh my gosh, doesn't that sound good? Mm -hmm. I feel like it went well, but one of the ladies was quite upset that we didn't have more food to accommodate her diet. She's gluten-free as well as dairy-free, and she doesn't eat sugar. Because of this, the buffet had lettuce, pico de gallo, guacamole, beans, and cilantro lime rice that she could eat. To me, this all seemed like enough food for a meal that's free, I just would like to add— But she was upset when we didn't have gluten-free tortillas or meat without sugar. It had a marinade that included brown sugar. Did we go wrong here? I feel like she had some options she could eat. And if she really wanted something else, I guess she could have brought it herself. Thoughts? Thanks. Hosting for food restrictions. This happens all the time.
0: It does happen all (laughs) the time. And my my first big thought is good work. Thank you for hosting a dinner. Thank you for making the effort to participate in your community. And and thank you for thinking about how to proceed well. I think that's the the moment where I find the etiquette really emerges in this situation, Mm because these things are going to come up. Mm -hmm. If your guest hasn't done the thing that we talked about when we did the keto question of letting you know exactly what their dietary, both restrictions and preferences and options are, and they haven't accommodated or provided for themselves as part of their planning, then you're stuck with a situation where you have to acknowledge what happened and move forward and you do the best you can and there's really not a lot you can do to fix what happened before but you can engage with that expression of displeasure in a way that you can feel good about and that can be tricky because someone's raising an issue or a problem with you and it can feel like an attack on what you've done mm-hmm. when you feel like you've really made an effort. And I can see that you've made an effort here.
1: I think that one of the interesting things about this is that this is a monthly group. This isn't a one-off. If if this had happened at, at just like kind of a, a one-off where a group gathered for a particular event and – the meal just didn't totally hit the mark for this one participant. I would not be worried about that. I would say, you know, y'all did what you could. And I think your eye was towards it, but it just missed the mark. And that's okay. That happens every now and again. And people with dietary restrictions know that. They know that when they're walking into a room. And and sometimes it's that day you don't want to deal with it. And you would really like for someone to have thought of you and catered to you. And other times you're like, it's totally fine. Don't worry. I deal with this all the time. We're human. it it happens, you know, both ways. But I would suggest that I think where this woman started to feel like she wasn't participating in the meal the way she would like to, is that there weren't tortillas there that she could eat. So there wasn't a way for her to kind of wrap all this wonderful food up together the way everyone else was. Remember that it's sometimes not just the actual food you're consuming, but the way you're consuming it. Think about meals where you've got that family style going on. If you couldn't participate in that, you might just feel a little not it just, it feels different. It feels like you're eating something different. You don't want to have that kind of separation feeling happening. The other thing I hear when I list what you've done and that you had provided her with beans that were sugar-free, but not a meat option that was sugar-free, I would look towards the next dinner, making sure that there is a meat option that is sugar-free for this woman when you're considering the diets. Because for a lot of folks who are omnivores and who do consume a decent amount of When there isn't meat at the meal, it feels empty. Now, mostly vegetarian over here, I will tell you, it's not empty. There's tons that you can fill up on. But if you're not used to it, if you're used to needing that form of protein in order to feel satisfied by a meal and feel like you've had a meal... I think it's kind of important to make sure that there is an option for the omnivores who then have the, you know, dietary restrictions that affect other aspects of the meal, if that makes sense. Um, To me, it's a a good go-to in the future so that this woman feels like she's really a part of the meal and there really are options out there. All of this being said, I just really don't want you to feel bad. Beans, rice, you know, vegetables to put on top, that is a meal. To me, that is a meal. But with if, if I was someone who ate meat a lot and maybe don't care for beans, which a lot of people don't care for beans, that becomes a little less of a meal when it's just pico and rice and, and some avocado and, and veggies, yeah.
0: I'm hearing the same dialogue in my head. Right. Maybe it's <laughs> as simple as one packet of gluten-free tortillas – Provide the solution. I think you got to ask this person. They've what would have made you, it better? Yeah. What would make it better? Would you, oh, if. Oh, good.
1: good idea, Dan. If
0: we do this again next month, would gluten free tortillas make this feel more complete? Is the meat the important thing to you? Because for me, or like you, the meat wouldn't necessarily be the important thing, but I hear what you're saying yeah. about having a center piece, a yeah. central part of that meal might be the important thing to someone. There is always this balance between right. what's possible and really trying to take care of everyone. And I think striking that balance is easier if you're in good dialogue and in good communication Proactive. with people. And you yeah. can always offer the easy apology. I'm so sorry that meal didn't work for you. I'm so sorry that we missed the mark. We tried but clearly we didn't do it. It doesn't need to be a a, a long, drawn-out thing. Your sample script would probably be quick and clean and (laughs) tight. No, what you
1: said I think was perfect. I'm so sorry that meal didn't work for you. I love your thing of now you could follow up with inviting the question of, would it have just been the tortillas, or or would you really have liked to have seen a sugar-free meat option? I just think that that's a great invitation for the other person to move out of complaining mode and into, oh, wait a minute, you want to address my problem? Oh, this has a fix? Oh, wait. All of a sudden, they're not – it's really hard for someone to be aggrieved when they're being accommodated and apologized to. (laughs) Dan's laughing over on the other side
0: of the mic here. Well, because I was even going to go one step further and invite her to help with the next meal. Woo! And as long as that's executed in a way that's really generous, that's not about like, well, well, maybe you want to help next time. (laughs) As long as you're really not operating from that place, you, you might find an ally to help do these meals. This might be a way to grow this circle one more person. It
1: also might be a way to grow the circle with someone who's attuned to dietary restrictions and might actually spearhead. And this is asking a lot of this person who didn't even write in, you know, but like. It might let them be the person to spearhead making sure the dietary restrictions are accounted for in the meal. I mean, when you're used to planning that kind of stuff, it's very easy. When you're not used to paying attention to it, and we don't know whether our listener here uh, hosting for food restrictions is or isn't used to it. It just can be a, a bit more complex.
0: Hosting for food restrictions. We hope that you like this answer as much as you like the answer about the person who was attending events with food restrictions. Good manners make people happy, and good table manners make eating together a happy time. And it is good to have friends like to come to our home. This next question is a classic because honoring honorifics isn't old. Totally. Dear Awesome Etiquette, I have a question regarding honorifics. I'm in my late 20s, and many of my peers, including myself, are having children. My son is getting to the age where I'd like him to be hearing the names that I want him calling adults by, i.e. Mrs. Smith, Aunt Lisa, Miss Lisa, etc. However, when I ask my friends in my generation what they'd like to be called, overwhelmingly the answer is just Lisa, just the first name. I'd like my son to grow up calling adults by a respectful honorific, but I don't want to go against the wishes of my friends is there a way to request that they let my son call them something other than just a first name? This also becomes a problem when it comes time for their children to call me a name. I live in the South, and Miss So and so is a common way to respectfully address a woman regardless of marital status or age. I'd like to be Miss Ruth, or even Aunt Ruth, or Mrs. Last Name to my friend's children. But if they are having my son call them by just a first name, how can I request that the children use an honorific for me? Is there a way that I can address this when they've already addressed me just by my first name? This seems to be a trend in my generation, and I don't like it. Call me traditional, but I think adults deserve a respectful honorific from children. Thanks, Ruth in Texas.
1: Well, Miss Ruth, I would like to say, you absolutely get to say that you would like honorifics used with your name. I think not only that, you're in the South where this is very, very common, and I see it spreading more and more to the North. The boys that I babysit for often call their teachers Miss Clara, Miss Laura, Miss, and the first name, which I find really, and this is female teachers. Obviously, you know, with men, we just have the mister, so that's it, um. But I think that it's really important that you feel respected and that your choice in this matter is respected. Here's the thing, though. It sounds like you're in a social and friend group that just is kind of blowing by this tradition. And that's fine. However, it means you're going to have to do a lot more work to make this tradition stick for you. And that's just them's the breaks. You know, this is how this works. And so... I would say it's perfectly fine for you to talk with your friends about this, especially your friends that you really are socializing with a lot. These are the families that are coming over every Friday, Saturday night, you know, hanging out on the afternoons on weekends.
0: See them at the soccer game, you see them at church, whatever it is. Wherever
1: it is, it's really important that you feel confident letting folks know, listen, I'm really working with my son on the whole Miss and that, you know, honorific thing, the whole Miss, Mrs., Mr. thing. And I'm working with him on that. I personally really prefer to be called Miss Ruth by the kids in my life, and I'm hoping you could help me encourage that. I had this happen to me later in life. I was like much more of an adult, I feel like. Not not full-blown adult. I don't think I was living on my own yet. But my mom let me know that her best friend actually found it really jarring whenever I called her by her first name. And my mom was able to have that conversation with me as a kid. And I said, oh, my gosh. So, like, every time I've been calling Mrs. So-and-so mm-hmm. by her first name, she's been, like, offended. Like, not offended, but I've been making her uncomfortable. And my mom was like, yeah. I was like, oh, my gosh. I had no idea. And it, it definitely was something I felt bad about. And so... I want to offer you that perspective as encouragement that people want to call you by what you would like to be called and what you will find appropriate. And it's not that fun learning years later that you were doing something wrong and, and kind of even if I'm Lizzie, I don't require people to call me Miss Post. I don't require people to call me Miss Lizzie, but I would never want to, to deny someone who wants that, <laughs> the experience. And so I would say go ahead and talk with folks. Let them know that it would be really helpful helpful if they could talk with their kids and if this could be something that's honored and that it's a preference that you have. Sample language might say something like, hey, Kelly, I am working on something with Ralphie, and I was really hoping that I could enlist your support. The kids do interact with this in different ways here down in the South, and it's something I'm working on. I would love the support and assistance with it. Do you think that you could emphasize using the word miss in front of your name. And if you're not comfortable with it, I totally understand, but I'm trying to teach him to defer to this. I also do think it is okay if parents are saying, listen, I really don't prefer being called Miss Lisa. Please can we is it okay with you if I am I'm not one of the ones that this is happening with and you know what not one of the people who's supporting this as much and I think it's okay because we're talking about people's names we're talking about how they feel comfortable being addressed so I want you to get the respect on your end that I really believe you deserve and I do think you have to work hard at getting it into life nowadays I think you are right it's just a tradition that we see slipping in a lot of places so I also want to want to encourage the respect on the other side. That if someone really isn't into this and the honorifics are, are something they are uncomfortable with, that you explain the difference to your son, so that he can get practiced at using both.
0: To me, there's a real teaching point here. Please, that yeah. Involves- teaching your son to respect other people's desires about what they want to be called. That that really is fundamentally important and that's an etiquette lesson that I think all of us can really get behind. I think that you can also teach your son to default to those honorifics until someone else has expressed that they prefer the other. that that, that That's a, a great totally. default position, particularly for children that are learning and acquiring this skill. And it really is a skill. The ability to engage with formality mm-hmm. helps them navigate a world of informality and more casual expectations, that it gives them a range of options and behaviors to choose from that are really going to be an advantage to them throughout their lives in in lots of different situations that they might find themselves in. So I often introduce myself as Dan, but I kind of like Mr. Senning. Oh, you're so, totally
1: gonna be you're totally going to be that guy. You I, are you I like would me. not mine if someone gave me this dude. option. Dan, I am just picturing when Anisha hits dating age, whatever boy or girl shows up to take her out, I can just see you, like, they're going to say, well, hi, Dan. And then you're going to say, it's Mr. Senning." I could
0: just totally see it. I'm, I'm glad you can. I'm not sure I can, but I'm glad you can.
1: <laughs> Dan's like, she's only one. I don't want to think about her dating life yet.
0: Miss <laughs> Ruth. We hope that this answer helps and that you feel confident sharing what you shared with us with the people that you're interacting with.
2: Well, in our practice in class, we learned that introducing people was just a matter of showing respect.
1: Our next question is titled, You Scratch My Back, and it comes to us via Google Voice.
3: Greetings to Lizzie and Dan. I have a two-part etiquette question for you. I was a member at a yoga studio for a while, but canceled my membership because I can no longer afford the recurring dues. I popped in for a class recently, and a yoga friend and I began talking. After she learned that I quit coming due to the cost, she offered to let me be her guest at any class she attends. She has the highest level of membership and can always bring a guest to class. I've attended a few times with her so far, and I'm extremely appreciative that I can make yoga a more frequent part of my schedule due to her kindness. The two questions. Number one, what's an appropriate way to thank her for this? Me joining her is costing her no more or less than if I weren't there, but I recognize that it was a thoughtful and generous offer, and I want to let her know I sincerely appreciate it. We haven't hung out, at least as of yet, outside of the studio, so what's most appropriate? A thank you note, an offer to take her out for dinner, a small gift card. As this offer was extended because of my finances, I don't believe she expects anything significant, if anything at all, in return. Secondly, Do I owe the yoga studio anything for utilizing their space without paying? Do I need to give a small donation, buy a cute trinket from the store, or maybe purchase an occasional class out of pocket? Thank you, as always, for your thoughts and ruminations on our listener questions during the past few years. I always enjoy listening to each new episode when it pops up on my podcast app. Sincerely, Jen, a.k.a. Thankful Yogi.
1: Jen, I got a yogi in studio who definitely wants to answer this question.
0: (laughs) Hi, Jen, the Thankful Yogi. I was feeling exactly as Lizzie anticipates I'm feeling right now. I feel the way I think Peter or Lizzie feel when a golf question comes in, when I get a question about yoga <laughs> etiquette, because it's know. something I so enjoy.
1: And I am trying to remember right now what it's like to be on the other side of that, when you're like, well, I got good stuff to share too, but I'm just not as gung-ho about it. Dan, get, come on, give it to me. What you? What do you think?
0: The most etiquette part of this question is the thank you. Yeah. So my, my note says... Thank her, thank her twice, or thank him, thank him twice, yeah. that you want to thank warmly, verbally, in person, with good eye contact and a smile on your face for
1: every class having them be <laughs> your guest or, yeah. or for being their guest and yeah.
0: that you really appreciate that. And then I, I love the idea of a little follow-up note. Mm-hmm. I think that the way you were thinking about an expectation of a, a meal or a, a gift is really – beyond what is expected here because yes, the, it's the financial burden that really is the impetus for this gift. Mm-hmm. And I think that note card is a way to notch it up without incurring extra financial burden. Absolutely.
1: I like the idea, though, of our listener, Jenna, Jen, excuse me, kept saying, um, you know, take her out to dinner. And to me, that would definitely be on par for a cost to cost kind of thank you. And again, Dan mentions this is because of finances that this this exchange is even happening. So instead, bring down your cost to cost. It's okay. Offer to take her out for coffee or tea after a class or before. I mean, I don't know whatever works before a class. But I think that it's the gesture. Again, you know, I'm thinking of our intro where we talk about the time and effort. It's the gesture. The the recognition, the um, the gratitude that comes through. A cup of coffee with someone, a cup of tea with someone, a little hand knit scarf, a just those small things. And again, not trying to say that hand knit scarves are small things. I'm clearly, only twenty rows into one, it takes a long time. But those small things, that handwritten note, that little card—maybe not after every class. That might get a little like cumbersome, and I—I I don't want to say that thank yous and gestures like that become cumbersome, but it's just unnecessary. But Thank yous after the classes, every now and again offering a coffee or bringing something cute and small that you know this person would like. I think you can find small touches to remind this person that you're very grateful. I like the idea of thinking about thanking the space as well. Here's my thought on that, though, and it might be different from my cuz. And so I I totally respect any difference you might come up with. But my thought is that this person... um, kind of your yoga class benefactor, is paying for a premium membership where the yoga studio has said, because of the level you're paying at every month, you get to bring a guest every time. And we don't care if it's the same guest every time. I know that at um, the golf club, there are rules about how many times you can bring a particular guest. So you want to pay attention to that. But this is a part of the perks. And you are the person receiving the perks. And I don't think you should feel any obligation beyond being a respectful member of the the class, a, a, someone who respects the facility, and if you can, every now and again, sure, purchase a class yourself. You know, allow your friend to take somebody else. But I think that I would not go so far as to really feel an obligation to the studio beyond being a good, respectful participant.
0: There are lots of ways to support a community or a studio, and sometimes your attendance is that support. If it makes it a more interesting and enjoyable space for. Your platinum member friend, if they feel good about bringing you, if you feel good about going, that feeling good is part of the community that that keeps these classes functioning and working well for everybody. I like that idea of paying when you can, mm-hmm. of thinking about opening up the space so your friend could bring other guests if they want. And I think you do that by letting them know if it becomes a regular thing when you're not going to be able to do it so that they can say to themselves, oh, this person who's usually my guest isn't going to be there. I could invite someone yeah. else. And just little um, – little, thoughts like that, little bringing your attention to the way that you're interacting in those ways is the way to keep these interactions courteous and respectful. You continue to check in and continue to enjoy that class. I'm so looking forward to getting back to my class. (laughs) I've been traveling a lot this winter, and one of the great things about being home is I get to get to my favorite classes.
1: I love it. I love it. Jen, we really hope that this helps and that you continue to experience such a wonderful yoga class and friendship.
2: To develop good posture habits, there are several things you must do. First, exercise. Go in for active stretching bending games which will build good hard muscles to help hold your body in line. Any activity which takes balancing or stretching is good for developing the muscles of your shoulders and chest.
1: Our next question begins round and round and round we go. I recently began a job that involves busy doorways and elevators. My upbringing makes my reflex ladies first. But I find myself wondering if I could be offending my female colleagues by not treating them the same way that I would treat my male colleagues or equally concerning being viewed as out-of-touch or old-fashioned for doing so. Either way, I don't want to be perceived as rude, but I'm not sure how best to meet people where they are. What is the respectful thing to do to support a productive and healthy workplace? Anonymous, Colchester. I'm hoping that's Colchester, Vermont. I'm guessing. Which is like a stone's throw from my house. Yeah.
0: Okay. Great work etiquette question. Right? Business etiquette. American standards, business etiquette is gender neutral. Yeah. So you really want to strive for a code of conduct, a standard of conduct where you treat people the same. And I see an awareness of that in mm-hmm. the way this question is asked. How do you handle it when your awareness of that expectation, that standard, that desire from the people around you starts to bump up against some internal programming or habits? Yeah. It can be tricky. <laughs> I think about my cousin Anna Post, who taught me how to teach our business etiquette seminars, parts of our business etiquette seminars. And she used to say, it's not about men being courteous to women. It's about people being courteous to people. Hold yourself accountable to a standard of treating people well, whatever their gender. So if it's a situation where there's two people about to enter an elevator." Offer to let someone else go first. It's not likely elevators are going to fill up. If they do, there's usually another one available pretty quickly.
1: Dude, elevators so fill up. This is like a thing if you're in a city and you have a giant, sorry, <laughs> like, so when it's So if you're real. in New York where it's yeah, packing yeah, yeah. up,
0: just go in as the way everybody would. If it's yes. not practical yeah. or feasible, then proceed the way yeah. that you normally would.
1: Or if it could cause you to have to wait 20 minutes for another elevator. I mean, like, yeah, proceed as you normally would. What I love is that this comes back to that. Remember earlier in the show we talked about the 36,000-foot view? This is when you get really concerned about a particular type of person that you are trying not to offend – Treat people as people is honestly one of the best phrases you can put in your head because then all of a sudden your actions are equal to everyone involved, whether they are old or young, whether they are big or small, whether their skin is of a certain color, whether they are presenting as a certain gender. There are just so many different ways that you could etiquette yourself into a corner worrying about offending someone and instead you go to people, treat all people the same. Like treat people like people and it really absolutely neutralizes it in your head. And then all of a sudden you find yourself holding doors for everybody and you have to say, wait a minute, I can't be the nice guy all the time. I got to get through the door too.
0: <laughs> Chivalry has changed and evolved over time. Totally. Elevators are a particular example of that because once upon a time, this was one of the few places where even when the lady's first courtesy was... A firmly established part of chivalry elevators were a place men went first because they were. Dirty, dangerous industrial spaces, and ah. a little bit like a revolving door that was heavy. Where the man went first to push the door, men went first into elevators just to be sure everything was okay. To offer to help someone in, they were so
1: that you don't step in and the thing drops to the ground. No, I'm just there kidding. might have been a
0: gap. There might have been like a, a heavier door or some operation yeah. of the elevator that the man well, was they often going had to, to do.
1: Open the gate and then the door open. It used to be a thing. I mean, it's why there were elevator operators and still are.
0: So you might look back and say, oh, well, it's ladies first. You might look even further back and say, well, this is one of those places where actually men would go first within that gendered courtesy that many people think of as traditional chivalry. Chivalry really came from a code of conduct that was about treating people who aren't usually afforded a lot of respect with the maximum amount of respect and care. And I think that if you ever find yourself in a situation where you're wondering how would chivalry apply – Ask yourself, how can I treat the people around me respectfully? Use that people first. Be nice to all people standard. And I think that's what chivalry is really going to look like in today's world. I want to leave this question with a couple broad elevator etiquette ideas. Okay. The important thing. Let people out first. Mm -hmm. If you're the one standing next to the buttons, it's difficult for someone else to get to them. Offer to hit a button for someone. Mm -hmm. Let people out first. Offer to help. Don't talk too loudly when you're on that elevator taking a ride.
1: One of the other ones that that I learned um, is that... When it's just you and, like, one other person, when there's ample room in the elevator for both people to be present, that you don't stand directly in front of someone with your back to them, but you kind of put yourself on more even planes. However, when the elevator is crowded, it's absolutely acceptable to stand sort of right in front of someone. What you really want to listen for is the person in the back who has to get out on floor two when everyone else is going to floor 20. Um, just pay attention to who's in and holding that door so that everyone has ample time to get in and out like Dan said
0: Anonymous in Colchester thank you for the question we could go on and on about this one all day but we have to stop somewhere enjoy your new job and treat everyone around you with courtesy and respect you're going to be in great shape
2: when Jack leaves the house with a lady it's ladies first yes even with his sister it's a simple enough matter to give people you meet plenty of room to pass And no shoving or pushing.
1: Thank you for your questions. And please, please, please send us updates, comments, and feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or please hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show.
0: Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. We had a great comment from an HR manager regarding odors at work. So good. Hi. I've been in HR management in the Deep South for many years, and the issue of aroma has come up frequently over the last five years. It is often a very difficult conversation for everyone involved. I consider it a successful conversation if the employee takes some initiative to correct the problem. Sometimes it can be a health issue that cannot be completely remedied, but there can still be steps to improve the impact. I think employees are more likely to listen if they are allowed an out or excuse. Let them have that crutch if they need it. Frequently, I've heard that the scent isn't body odor, but a new wife's cooking, picked up from a large piece of industrial equipment, or that their mom is no longer assisting with their laundry.
1: I like the range of those options for where the odor is coming from. That's a big range.
0: (laughs) With summer approaching, if you don't know the cause of the aroma, consider asking the boss to host a lunch and learn or something similar with a local dermatologist as the speaker. This can present solutions that the employee may need, but didn't even know existed without putting the spotlight directly on the employee. My last tip is that you have the ability to have someone who truly cares for the employee have a direct conversation. Utilize that individual if it doesn't create another problem. Sincerely, anonymous yet caring HR manager.
1: I absolutely love the suggestion of a lunch and learn, and bringing in a dermatologist, someone who can speak to the idea of both, like how how different aromas and scents that you might put on yourself can react with your skin, um, how how your body, pro- I mean, even produces odor. There's some interesting things here. I. I do believe that if it's the question from the other week that we were referring to flatulence being the issue here. And so I'm wondering what kind of an expert you might bring in for that. Um, But I'm going to let the HR department solve that one for us. Our next piece of feedback comes from Debbie, who is responding to our postscript segment on formal dances. Actually, I think it was on dances in general, but um, the issue of keeping gloves on at the ball. And I think we've now actually heard from a couple people on this, and it's time for us to change our advice, because I think we've got it wrong. Hello, Lizzie and Pooj.
2: This is Debbie in Huntsville, Alabama. Hello to you both. It's so nice to hear Pooj on the show again, and I trust Dan's trip is going well you had a postscript about gloves at fancy balls and a comment from a listener about that and i wanted to share a little bit more about that with you so i ballroom dance and my instructor has shared with me that in fancy balls it's a tradition for the gentlemen to keep their gloves on for exactly the reason that your listener mentioned And that is to protect the ladies' gowns. So I just wanted to share that with you that there's um, some more input about the glove tradition. And thank you so much for your show. I really enjoy it. Bye.
1: Debbie. First of all, I think I could listen to you talk all day long. I love your voice. (laughs) I um, really want to thank you for clarifying that it's the gentlemen who are leaving the gloves on because I actually think that in our 19th edition, it's about the women taking their gloves off when they dance. If anyone can speak to that and not getting oils from the hands on gentlemen's nice clothing, I would love to hear more about that. But I love that we're narrowing this down. We're finding the good etiquette and the practical reasons behind it.
0: Debbie, thank you for your feedback. I want to second my cousin Lizzie's thanks. We really appreciate learning more about these topics, and it's good to hear from someone who has some real experience with this issue.
1: You for sending us your thoughts and updates, and please keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
0: It's time for our PostScript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's PostScript is about parting.
1: Dan, the show's not over. It's not time to say goodbye.
0: It's not, but... It's definitely time to think about how we say goodbye.
1: Okay. It's such sweet sorrow. Take us away.
0: So this postscript comes out of several interviews that I did over the course of this winter that were about things that range from exiting a party to ending relationships with people that you've done business with or had a service relationship with or how you end a romantic relationship or even depart from a social media account or group that you've been... Involved with,
1: So this is good goodbyes.
0: This is good goodbyes. I love it. I like to think about etiquette as relationship skills. And when I'm teaching etiquette, I oftentimes use the arc of a relationship as a way to, to tell a story about etiquette skills, that introductions are important. It's important how you meet people, that communication and conversation is important. It's important to think about how you sustain and maintain relationships. Behaviors in different environments are also part of that maintain and sustain phase and behavior. But then there's also when relationships end, and relationships do end. We come and go from people's lives in all kinds of ways, and it's an <laughs> important part good of a relationship sometimes not. <laughs> well, and it's not <laughs> yeah. sometimes not that I think Sometimes brings a little emotional distress to that moment, and that emotional distress can, I think, cause people to shy away or overdo that moment. And either one of those things can make something more difficult than it has to be. Uh, 35 and single? I totally get this. (laughs) A romantic relationship is a good example of a relationship ending that I think makes it easy to 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 paint this picture in a very large way because there are really strong feelings involved and that breakup conversation can be hard. It can be hard if you're the person hearing it, it can be hard if you're the person initiating it. And the question of dosage is really important here. That you want to honor and respect a relationship. And at the same time, you don't want to overdo it. You don't want to cause undue harm by getting into every reason why this is happening. And it's it's difficult to find that place. But I think if you're aware of the two extremes, that mm-hmm. you don't just want to disappear on someone. You don't just want to ghost, ghost and them. vanish. And at the same time, you don't want to be hurtful or harmful in terms of describing every problem or shortcoming or reason why you want to end the relationship if that's not going to feel good for that person yeah
1: can i go the other direction too so i'm i'm a big fan of when you both know it's not going to work that you celebrate like the time you spent trying to get to know each other and see if it was going to work rather than not do that rather than find something to pick up I mean let's classic breakup stuff you find something to be mad about to instigate a fight to have a reason to break it up and end it it's total hooey you can instead say this isn't working for me and I really respect the time we've spent together but I know that it's not going to be honest for me if I if I continue on and and keep trying when I think I should move on and I think that those are the kinds of things that can really help not create those dramatic, you know, moments. You still are going to probably deal with someone being really upset and their their feelings needing to be expressed and processed. And we think about when people say, I need closure, it's because, whoa, that ending happened out of the blue or... I was so into this. I, it, it's really hard for me to understand how you're not. You know what I mean? It's Breakups are really, really tough. But the other side that I was speaking of was the idea that sometimes when you really know something's over. I mean, I've been in situations where I was living with someone and we ended it. And then you've actually got a month or two before they find a new place or they're able to get out of the situation. I mean, sometimes breakups are really messy and complex and The emotions are done, but you're you're moving on with something else. And you can have that desire to celebrate in that positive way I was talking about, but like you overdo it and you're almost like, oh no, we've we've cut we're like past this point, aren't we? We're past the point of celebrating, like giving our relationship a send-off, you know. Um, you don't always have to make goodbyes saccharine sweet and positive in every single way. Sometimes they really are goodbyes because you have to cut the cord. You have to move on. You have to just separate. And I want to carry that
0: lesson from the romantic realm into the professional realm. Oh, okay. And the professional realm is one where people sometimes worry about goodbyes, particularly with service relationships. Oh, I'm not going to go back to this salon any longer, or I'm not going to see this personal trainer any longer. And how do I tell them? (laughs) You tell them. They're a professional also. And if it comes up in the course of your interaction with them that you're going to try something else, you can you can do that. It's also OK. People will understand that you're moving on or that you're trying something else. These relationships do oftentimes have a place where they complete or conclude. Otherwise, you get your hair cut at the same place for your entire life and you attend the same gym for your entire life. And some people do this.
1: <laughs> Girl who's never left home.
0: <laughs> but if that's not you, it really is OK and people will understand. <laughs> One of my favorite places to think about parting is leaving a party. And this isn't a particular etiquette question that we get all the time. It's like is it okay if I just leave? No, you're supposed to say goodbye to your host. Well, my husband says goodbye to everybody at the party. Is that appropriate? Well, maybe not. Your leaving a party shouldn't be the biggest event at the party. There is a question of dosage where you want to acknowledge to your host that you're leaving. You want to let them know. And most importantly, you want to thank them for having you over. And that's an opportunity to do that. It's your best opportunity to do that at the same time you can be tempted to tiptoe out the door or to make too big uh, a show of that exit. And that leaving a party example is one of the ones that I also like to keep in mind when I'm thinking about that gray area territory that's ending a professional relationship. If you've got the, the really emotionally invested example of ending a romantic relationship, if you have the less emotionally invested but sort of clearer example of leaving a party, I think those can provide nice brackets at the broad end of the spectrum and the narrow end of the spectrum for making choices about – How you acknowledge a client that you've worked with for a long time who you're not going to continue to work with or how you do end a relationship with someone who's provided a service for you.
1: You know, it's interesting as a service provider in terms of of house sitting and babysitting that I do, I actually don't expect a, a breakup conversation. Often it's the kids are now old enough to take care of themselves or the other babysitters have come into that family's life and I just get called less and i will if i need to if i feel the need to say hey i just wanted to check and make sure nothing was wrong and they'll often say oh no it's just we've you know found this other babysitter and it's easier the coordination's easier she has more availability or Price is a better price. I got to be honest. Like, and that just happens sometimes. Um, th- like, we don't always have the breakup conversation. Stylists often will say, "Honestly, you can tell me you're going somewhere else, or you can just go somewhere else." Sometimes, us service providers aren't aren't as interested in having the breakup conversation, and other times we really are. And so, you know, you got to kind of feel out the relationship,
0: right? Ask yourself, would it do more harm or more good? Would someone really want to know why you're going somewhere else? Would it help them provide better service in the future? Would they be able to hear it in a way that it would be helpful? Is it going to ease the pain? Are you a best client but you're now living somewhere else? It's harder to get there and just knowing that would make them question why you've left less. Is it going to do more harm or is it going to do more good? Ask yourself how you'd want to be treated if you would want to know.
1: Always a good place to start with your language.
0: Don't forget the thank you. The thank you is a great way to have a parting conversation while you thank someone for the time that you spent together or whatever it is they've done for you. And that can be a really nice way to both wrap something up but also wrap it up in a way that leaves people feeling good and appreciated.
1: Dan, thank you so much for this. I think this is a great topic to cover and I'm hoping that our audience has a lot of feedback on it. Speaking of our audience, we like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today our salute comes from the grateful Spring Breaker. Who writes, I would like to send an etiquette salute to one of my friend's parents for being amazing hosts to six college students. We decided to spend our spring break week at their house, and we were welcomed and set up with an amazing spread of teas, coffees, ice creams, snacks, and food. They also took us all out to dinner multiple times and even lent us the biggest family vehicle so that we could travel around in one car. Mrs. Belitsky even popped her homemade popcorn for our movie nights. They went above and beyond their hosting duties, and I really want to thank them. Thank you, Dan and Lizzie, for hosting such a great podcast and providing amazing guidance to be a better person. Sincerely, Grateful Spring Breaker. I like the sound of that spring break, man. That is up my alley.
0: I know. It's so nice to hear about someone hosting a spring break. Well, usually that's something that you imagine people are running from. (laughs) Demauchery, yeah. Well, I'm sure you were an excellent guest based on the tone of this thank you. Absolutely.
1: That's our show for today. Thank you for listening.
0: And thank you to everyone who sent us something.
1: You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette
0: at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463.
1: On Twitter, I'm at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E.
0: And I'm at Daniel underscore post.
1: On Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute.
0: You can help us out. Become a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. Or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave us a review.
1: Our show is is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks,
3: Chris. Chris.